Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 604 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I like when I don't have a lot to cut off the beginning of the file to post edit things. Right. I, I like when you start the recording as close to recording, too, but then you're always worried you're going to forget. Uh-huh. And that's never happened, so... Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm learning uh, through our technical wizard, you, that uh, Skype has been giving us issues because of Windows 10. Yes. Not so. our own user error or anything like that. I'm, I'm guessing that's what it is. I, I did a deep dive into technology and that's right. what it came up with. So, you know me, the techno wizard, so... Right. All our fans say that. Go Todd, the techno wizard. That is true. It's just that one guy said that. Yeah, and he was a little drunk, so. <laughs> so what do we got on the show here today, sir? Right. Um, in news, we have the passing of a true comic book legend. Sad news, you know. Um, the ever-changing landscapes of movie release dates. And Joe, wig o'clock no more. Um, conventions. What we read last week, which was uh, Saga 58 and Rogues. Two, what we're looking forward to this week, a small week, it seems, and also the battle for second place, a.k.a. Longbox Heroes Goes Rogues. That's the new name I've made for it, Joe. So, <laughs> 18 weeks in, we got a new name for it. That's right. It's about time. Now we just need, you know, a logo and everything. Um, Todd's Art Attack, and finally, spoiler-filled talk of the penultimate episode of Moon Knigget. So... I'm. I, we still got one more episode left for them to give the final reveal of him being bit by the radioactive moon. Right. We kind of got a hint of the origin. I was waiting for the the moon bite, but it didn't happen. Yes. It's a wonderful night for a moon bite. They say <laughs> that's the tagline for the movie or the TV show or the comic yep, for season two at least. Yes. He says that in the trailer. You know, like it's like, oh, what is this? Some new Disney Plus show? It's some new Marvel thing. What what is this? And there's a bunch of like whatevers, and then you just see you just hear in the distance the guy say, uh, Oscar Isaac say, "It's a wonderful night for a moon bite." And then like the f- famous Moon Knight uh, song hits, dun 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 Moon Knight. Oh my God! All right, enough of your shenanigans, Todd. My shenanigans. All right. Uh so um, I guess. Ooh, this this information came out on Friday, uh, pretty early in the morning, that, as Todd mentioned, bona fide, uh, unarguable comic book legend Neil Adams passed away. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, obviously, we've talked many times before in regards to folks like George Perez uh, who has had a very public uh, health issue ongoing and so forth, right? hmm Did we know anything about this with Neil Adams before? Okay, now, we did, I did and we didn't. Um, the Mad Bases sent me a text one night. This was like uh, like like weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, that John Cassidy artist, like he did Planetary, Lone Ranger, stuff like that, he had tweeted out, that he's like, oh, you know, I just found out that 
Neil Adams has sepsis. You know, I hope he's he's okay. And I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. And then I didn't think about it because it was late at night. And then the next day I was like, oh, I'm going to go find that tweet for the show to talk to Joe about it. Uh-huh. Um, and I went and uh, Cassidy had obviously deleted it. So I'm wondering if, and once it was deleted, I'm like, well, I got no thing. I don't want to be mentioning on the show, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, and then now it comes out that he passed away due to sepsis. So I know it was true. I'm wondering if maybe the Adams family just kind of asked him to take it down. You know what I mean? Like they didn't want, like, you know, with everything that was going on with George Perez and everything, maybe they just wanted their privacy. Um, so that's why I think we didn't hear anything about it, you know? Right. And again, uh, uh, you know, somebody who was working just up until like me, like five or six years ago, Mm -hmm. uh, with that Batman Odyssey book, um, but a preeminent creator of the seventies and eighties for both Marvel and DC. Yep. And, uh, a, a fighter for, you know, comic book creators rights too. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, you know, co-creator of a bunch of bat people, like most notably Rayshaw Ghoul, mm-hmm. uh, John Stewart, Green Lantern, amongst many others. And we talk all the time because he's still out of the convention circuit from time to time. Um, that Jose Garcia Lopez, right? Right. His version, specifically the DC characters. Right. A lot of times when you would see merchandising stuff, you would see Jose Garcia Lopez's version of those characters, right? Right. They were the clean versions of the DC characters, if you will. The, like, yeah, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez did the definitive versions of the DC right. characters. And I would say that Neil Adams did the definitive versions of these DC characters as well, but it was like the dirty versions of them. The realistic version. The, like the if they were in shadows or if they were going through peril or trauma or needed to be showing some sort of grief, it was the Neil Adams version that you saw. Whereas the Jose Garcia Lopez one was the clean, the bright, the shiny, the vibrant versions of these characters. The hopeful DC characters. Yes. I, I'm I'm with you, but like my thing is like Neil Adams, like he put Batman back on the map. Uh, with like, you know, there was the Batman TV show, which we always talk about, but then like the, the Batman, the comic was like that for years. And I forget who said it, but the, the retailer could probably mention it to you when, when you see them. But it was like back in the day, they would say like, you know, Batman in his own comic is, you know, fighting, you know, giant type, the Riddler and giant typewriters or whatever. Why is the real Batman over in Brave and the Bold? Because he was doing that at the time. And then yeah. that like sunk into other books and he was doing covers for Superman. And anytime you saw those covers of like he did the Flash or or whatever, you're, you're like, these are amazing versions. These covers always pop and always grab your attention. And then he ends up doing like the, like to me, the pinnacle of his work, maybe some of the most beautiful comic uh, art ever done is that Muhammad Ali versus Superman. Yep. And I'm still blown away by that. I look at that every once in a while and I'm like, just some of the most beautiful stuff that I've ever seen. Like Neil Adams could draw anything. He might be on, he not, not might be, he's on my Mount Rushmore. Of comic book artists. He's like definitely one of them. Um, and I think he's one of those guys that is in a lot of people's like top 10, let's say. Mm-hmm. 
And it's one of those things where as a quick knee-jerk reaction, you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, Neil Adams, for sure, top 10. But then when you go and you look at his work and you really analyze it and you give it that look and you're like, eh, he's probably more top five than anything else, you know? Yep. He's a guy who is a recognizable name uh, that everyone just knows. And, you know, I, I, we do follow a bunch of different people. Um on social media from the comic book side. Um, but Jimmy Palmiotti, most notably, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a Harley Quinn book mm-hmm. that was a parody of the Superman versus Muhammad Ali thing. Yep. And Neil Adams um, did the art with him on it. Yeah. Uh, and then Jimmy just posted like a bunch of different like I like literally iconic images that Neil Adams has done. And I know you had mentioned, um, you know, the Batman stuff, but I think even if you're, um, not super deep into DC specifically comic history. Mm -hmm. Um, if I just say, uh, my ward speedy is a junkie. Oh, Classic cover, man. One, I would say, and again, we talk about Neil Adams, Mount Rushmore, top five, top ten, whatever. This is maybe one of the most iconic comic book covers of all time. Mm-hmm. And this was like at a time where, you know, it was the uh, early to mid-70s. And, you know, to a much greater deal here, DC is tackling, you know, the, the, the issue of drugs with youth. Marvel was doing it as well. I think at the time, like Harry Osborn was also a drug addict. Yeah. And there was issues of amazing Spider-Man that didn't have the comics code on them. Um, all that being said, you know, he's just, and if, if it's not a, uh, Jose Garcia Lopez version of the character, that's iconic. It's definitely a, uh, Neil Adams version. And again, he's going to be missed. And you're saying definitely like that, that cover. Then that pops to mind that that cover with my, my ward is a junkie, the Joker holding the Batman playing card, and then oh, Super, yeah. Superman breaking the kryptonite chains. For sure. That, those are like, you know, like they are still used and what do you call it? Like, uh, you know, uh, homage to this day. But yeah, he will definitely be missed. And I met him many times. And he was at the Clark Summit Comic Book Ice Festival Comic Con here. I just looked it up because somebody mentioned, they're like, oh, when was Neil Adams at the uh, Comic Con? And the, the, people were like, oh, yeah, it was like 2017 or 2018. I, I looked it up. It was 2013. It was almost a decade ago, Joe. I feel old. So, well, that's nice. Yeah, tip of the iceberg for reasons that we feel old. Um, but again, if you're unfamiliar with his work or – so if you're unfamiliar with Neil Adams or you're unfamiliar with his work, I guarantee you if you just Google Neil Adams and you look at some of his iconic imagery, you're going to be like, I know that cover. I know yep. that interior. I know that panel. I know that. I know that. I know that. Mm-hmm. You're going to be like, oh, that's who that was. Okay. Right. Uh, moving along, and this is just uh, continuing to keep up my listings for things. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we had some movies move around on the schedule again, 
uh, most notably the Marvels, which is the uh, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers sequel, and Ant-Man and Wasp, Quantumania, unbelievable. Uh, they have switched dates on the schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, the funny thing about that change on the schedule, because I've been keeping track of initial you know, release dates and what the new date moves to and so forth and so on, uh, Ant-Man and Wasp has moved back to its original release date. When it was okay. originally on the schedule, it was for February 17th, 23, moved to July of 23. Now it's back to that same February 17th, 23 date. It's like nothing happened. Like nothing happened. Whereas the Captain Marvel sequel just keeps getting pushed back and back and back. That was supposed to actually be this November gets pushed back to February now gets pushed back to July. Right. Which will be out first, the flash movie or the Marvels? Hmm. Uh, as it stands right now on the schedule, the flash is slated for June, 2023. Okay. But there's a lot more chair throwing that can happen between now and then. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's 13 months of chair throwing. <laughs> That's right. That's a baker's dozen of <laughs> chair yes. throwing, Joe. And I'll just say, you know, whatever's going on with Ezra Miller, I hope he gets the help that he needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. I'm not going to get into the other issues of people petitioning for certain characters to be completely removed from upcoming movies. Uh, you're just being silly at this point. Right. Uh, last but not least, though, uh, in the news, it was made official uh, through the CW that uh, Batwoman and Legends of Tomorrow will not be picked up for another season. Sad news, Joe. Yes. Uh, I guess one of the main writers, uh, Keto Shimuzu, tweeted out, well, folks, it's been an incredible run. However, the CW has let us know that there will be no season eight of Legends of Tomorrow. We are heartbroken, but also immensely grateful for the amazing work of our cast, crew, and writers and that have contributed to the little show that could. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sad. Uh, and this is one of those things where it's like, oh, man, it'll just get picked up somewhere else or whatever it is. Right. Right. That's a bummer. It's done, man. It was the one show that kind of kept us holding on from all the Arrowverse shows. You know, I never watched Arrow. I fell out of Flash. Uh, when, it, you know, the, the formula kind of became, uh, whatever, whenever they would do the crossovers, I would watch the other shows, but none of them would be good enough to hook me in. I, I know people have told me that the Superman show is pretty good. What's it called? Like Lois and Clark or Clark and yeah. Lois. Yeah. Superman and Lois, Superman or something like that. I'm not sure. 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 We tried Batman, Batwoman. We tried a bunch of the shows, but they just didn't have that whatever. And I just think it's though, uh, a lot of the shows on the CW and we could, I, I could say this now, like flash felt like it had its own identity. Whereas everything else just felt like it's the arrow formula with a different character in the lead. Right. And they were just take, you know what? And I'll say this star girl, star girl's still. Okay. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't consider star girl a CW show, man. 
And I, I know what you're saying. It's on CW, but that CW Arrowverse stuff, because it's smarter written. And like, we've talked about it where they have like the, the soundtrack where they're using any songs they want, where the Arrow universe is like, Oh, whatever the, whatever Warner brothers has out now, that's hot. You know what I mean? Like it just seemed a, a touch above the Arrowverse. Yeah. And it didn't. It initially started as an HBO Max show that would like replay on the CW like a couple days later, and then by the second season, they're just like that's a CW show. Right. It was. Remember when D- DC Universe was a thing, Joe? I do. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Legends of Tomorrow was it felt different. It felt unique. It had this uh, air of I guess anything could happen. You know. It had, it had like like heart or something like that it also had heart it also felt different even though like a good chunk of the characters were like early on of course were folks that were introduced in the other shows and it was just like well we can't like facilitate a full-fledged adam series or a full-fledged black canary series or a full-fledged heatwave and captain cold series what could we do with all these characters Let's put them in a, a show together as like a bunch of mixed up misfits and how they get along. But as we went through seven seasons, like I think uh, Katie Lotes, who plays uh, Canary, was the only one to stick around from the first season as like a regular, at least. <sighs> Always shortchanging Gideon. Well, again, I, she was, you know, she was coming in and recording her lines Krusty the Clown style for a lot of those seasons. <laughs> Right. I'll say this about the show. One, I think not seven seasons was way more than I ever thought we would get of this show. Yeah, those last two seasons kind of like there was a lot of shakiness going on with them. Like not what we not the output that we got, but like a lot of the behind the scenes stuff of getting them made. Right. And then on top of that, the the like you you're definitely right. There were the flash had its own thing. The Arrow stuff, kind of like the formula. But, like, I believe, like, Legends had that formula in the beginning with a team dynamic. And then somewhere around, I don't know where it was, they just gave up in a good way, as we always discussed. And they just decided, well, like, we're doing what we want. And we're doing in-jokes and meta-jokes. And we're doing all this. And we're having fun. And... I legitimately like, you know how, like, you know, if you're a good actor, you can make people believe. I believe that the, the gang, like I had fun watching the show. Cause I believe the gang would like actually party. Like when they would have those like montages of like, Oh, and we celebrated that day and it's them like spraying like champagne on each other and dancing. And you know, with like no sound, I'm like, they look like they just recorded a day out, like an after filming party. You know what I mean? So I just feel like everybody was, happy recording uh legends of tomorrow even if they probably weren't but that's my head canon so. yeah they made you believe that there was a camaraderie between the cast right right but and i'm wondering if now like when dc goes to cons that they have like oh here's all the bat suits and the wonder woman suits the superman suits if we're gonna have a collection now of finally at the cons tiny hats and wigs behind glass joe so I'll I'll say this, Todd. Five years, okay? Mm-hmm. There'll be enough time removed. Uh, the entirety of Legends of Tomorrow will be on some streaming service. HBO Max, definitely. Sure, it'll be rediscovered by a new audience. 
mm-hmm. it'll be reappreciated by an old audience. And at that point, that's when we take our ingenuity of the Navy SEALs guy mm-hmm. from the clerks when all the clerks people go out and do their whatevers. You know, we're the Gallagher and Gallagher 2 <laughs> of the Navy SEALs guy from the first clerks film. Right. We just go to any costume store, any Halloween city that pops up November 1st, grab a handful of wigs, grab a handful of ill-fitting hats, and then we do the touring Legend of Tomorrow wardrobe thing. Right. I'm, Who's going to know, Todd? Who's going to know? Who, who would? Who would argue? You we know, just don't go to the cons. Only, the that, only like, people who would know would be me and you. And maybe, maybe if we go to, we have to watch that we don't go to cons with actual characters from the show. Touche. But otherwise, we're good. I think, I think we're golden. And I think that could be our new opportunity. Mm. So I'm down with that. But like you said, you know how like when in years when like it's the, 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 the nostalgia comes back for the people who watched it before and new people. I think this is this century's. Batman 66. Um, I could see it. People reliving it and being like, oh, man, I wish I experienced this back in 2022. Yeah, like I said, give it about five years, and I think you're going to see, like, a newfound appreciation. Like, people are going to see a newfound appreciation for this show, you know? It does make me wonder if we're going to get uh, an episode of, of the gang on Flash, though. Well, isn't there some issue of, like, Earth 3 that comes out this week where it's essentially an epilogue to what, like, all the Legend of Tomorrow characters are up to? I think that has to do with the crossover on comics that Mm. I really didn't get into, like, that. But I don't think it has anything to do with the show, like, ending. You know what I mean? Right. It was just a coincidence that this issue is coming out this week. It's not, like, official canon, like... This is the technical season f- series finale of everything, you know? Right. I could see them maybe wrapping it up in a comic, that last, like, cliffhanger ending, and or doing one episode of Flash, which I think we have a couple episodes of this season left, and then I think they're already talking about uh, a condensed season, like, next season for Flash, and then that should be pretty much it. Uh, they think they're going to cancel. I think this is the end of the Arrowverse, and then everything's going to start on HBO Max, like, fresh. We're going to get all our new shows and nothing connected to the Arrowverse, you know? That makes sense. But we'll, we shall see. We shall see indeed. Uh, so this weekend is free comic book day. If you have a local comic book store in your area, this is the weekend to find it. Go support small businesses. Go get some free comics. Any comic book uh, store worth their salt is going to also have big, crazy sales going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Be mindful of other people. We are still in the midst of a pandemic, even though, you know, there's a lot of other things going on in the world to worry about as well. Um, You know, some places might have limited capacity in the stores. You know, go find another small business to partake in. Um, until the store clears out and you can go in and check the wares of the local shop, you know? Right, right. But free comic book day happening, uh, first Friday in May in conjunction with a big movie release. It does feel like the world is healing. Don't you mean the first Saturday in May? 
No, first, well, let's say the first weekend in May. Because okay. the movie comes out on a Friday, free comic book day is Saturday. I, I, met, I thought you meant the comic, free comic book day was a Friday. I was got confused. No. Um, but su- surprisingly, there's no big conventions this weekend. There's a lot of smaller conventions, no real huge name folks that are out there. The only thing, and so this, I, I try to use as many resources as I can to locate the comic books. Um, I know that we do have a small international audience, but pretty much anything, unless it's like a huge uh, convention that you'd have to get on a plane to go to and like cross an ocean. Mm-hmm. I pretty much stick to the United States and Canada for the most part, right? Right. And I use like two or three different sites. And it's crazy that this one didn't come up on any of those sites. I had to find out about it from a tweet from one of the people that are going to be at the convention. And that is the Lodi Comic-Con in conjunction with Grape Fest in (laughs) Lodi, California. Uh, Notable folks that are going to be there would be Ramon Villalobos, who has done stuff for Marvel and DC. has a very unique art style. And uh, Orange Cassidy is going to be there. Ooh, I hope he's getting that special rate. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I was talking to somebody this uh, just uh, just today about, you know, maybe that special rate and see about him getting it or them getting it, let's say. And right. uh, I'm not going to do an impression of their voice because that'll give it away. And uh, he just said, he goes, no, I'll just show up. We'll see how it goes. Oh, my God. See? Well, I hope they don't, you know, that they, you know, he gets to find, try some of that fine, fine wine. You know, instead of oranges, it's grapes. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see what sort of shenanigans uh, OC gets up to there. Uh, if you're out on the West Coast, of course, the link to that will be in the show notes, along with all the other stuff uh, in the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-namednetwork.com, soon-to-be-namednetwork.tumblr.com, all the shows in our network, anytime they go live, of course, podcatchers, individual sites, individual feeds, but there's like a one-stop shop for all the shows, whether it be this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, uh, Final Wrestling Place, We Need Wrestling, At Odds With Wrestling, Profane Arguments, Puzzle Warrior 3, Hit My Music, Wings on Wings, and Porch Talk. Mm-hmm. And anytime those folks from those shows go on other shows, they, they let me know they're on those other shows. I'll make sure to share that with the rest of Yez as well. Uh, check out our friend Kevin, uh, his site, Mass Library. Um, I don't think he has uh, any new comic book stuff up recently, uh, mostly just wrestling stuff. And he's been taking it easy, but it's still a good site to go check out on in case he appears anywhere else. Uh, Rick Williams, The Chop Shop. Is linked up there. Jason Sandberg's Jupiter is linked up there. Chris Runt's Battle Monsters is there. Support all of those folks. They're longtime listeners of the show. They're longtime friends of the show, of course. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, if you do not have a local comic book shop in your area, this is the weekend to find it. And I'm going to say, let's even maybe a bad one go check them out. Maybe they've gotten better since the last time you were there two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Because our comic book shop is the best comic book shop Definitely in northeastern Pennsylvania. I'll say maybe uh, all of Pennsylvania, maybe all of the East Coast, and then I won't uh, give him too many allocates from there. But that's Comics on the Green. We have their Facebook linked up. 
That's where Dave and the crew put up a lot of their announcements, books coming out, get those early orders in, don't miss out on stuff. Um, and you can sign up for their mail order subscription service. You can have stuff sent to you weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, and however it is that you get your books from Comics on the Green, there's a chance that you can get a sketch on your delivery from our good friend Becky. You can go check out her social media, which is all linked up here as well, and see her process, her sketches, and the prints that she'll be selling at our comic book shop this weekend. Mm-hmm. So let's get into what we read from this past week, sir. Where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with Rogues, number two, Joe. All right. That's not the book we were both looking forward to coming out this week, but I'll allow it. Right. I just figured I'd change it up a little bit. Well, I'll give you Saga because uh, I don't know how big of a Rogues guy you are. But uh, uh, it is written by Joshua Williams uh, with art by uh, Leo Max. Uh, this is the group that Leonard has put together. They're off to Gorilla City to pretty much, uh, you know, do their to do their heist of the gold of Gorilla Grodd. Um, we get the trip of them going there, like how, like you know, bribing officials. We get a montage of it. Um, then we see how the team dynamic works, you know, in this, you know, uh, Africa where people need help, and Leonard wants, you know, some people are like, oh, let's help people, and he's like, nope, we're moving on. Um, we get to see like Magenta finally get some use of her powers that she's coming around. Mirror Master's coming out of his uh, rehab drug, you know, uh, state that he was in. And finally, when we do get to uh, Gorilla City, Gorilla City isn't quite what we thought it was going to be. And everybody's like poo pooing Leonard. And it's like, no, he's like, this is it. And Trickster's like, nope, there's something up here. It's a trick. I know tricks. And he ends up figuring out. We get to see Gorilla City, which I don't want to, the real Gorilla City, which I don't want to give too much away about the what they do, which is kind of an interesting take. I've seen it on a sci-fi show, kind of the the the, the thing that they were, were going for. And we end up seeing like that, uh, some love relationships between the group. Uh, and like, it, is it who's going to betray them? We get to see uh what I mean is, like, I know somebody in the group's probably going to mess up and betray the group, it seems like. But uh, we get to see Gorilla Grodd and his group of people, and he's taking over the thing and how it works. Um, I'm looking forward to more of this. I, I love the rogues. I'm a fan of what's going on. This book is is fun. I highly recommend it if you're a Flash rogues fan or any good rogues gallery, if you will, Joe. Well, and The Flash, uh, as we've detailed here, has the best rogues gallery. So I like this book a lot. Um, I love the misdirect in regards to Gorilla City. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get well, it's why it's thrown in there. But the stuff about everything going on with the gorillas in Gorilla City, like kind of trying to paint it all like some sort of like weird crime noir thing, mm-hmm. didn't love it. It reminds me, because you brought it up, it reminds me of, like, you're not a Star Trek fan, are you? I know you nope. like to download stuff, but uh, uh, it, there's an episode. Hey, but all right. Right. There's an episode where they go to this planet, and uh, years ago that they had kept, uh, somebody left a book there about, like, the mafia, like, in the in the Roaring Twenties. So they, uh, they enact that lifestyle, and it's called the piece of the action. And I feel like jo- uh, Joshua Williams is just, like, homaging that in a way so it sticks out but that's why it reminds me of that so it's nostalgia for me but i get why it just seems out of place 
feels out of place, right? Mm-hmm. It's just as though, huh? How could I put this? Um, I don't care about the gorillas. I care about Captain Cold and the crew that they built up in the previous issue and the first two thirds of the second issue. Right. Um, and I don't know, is this a two issue or a three issue miniseries? I believe it's a four. A four issue miniseries. Okay. And obviously it's oversized. It's 48 pages and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, and again, I don't care about the gorillas, to be honest with you, you know? See, I think, like, we do need the... He's the guy that we're going to be going up against, you know what I mean? So we do need a villain against the rogues, if you will. But I just think maybe a little too convoluted for you. Like, we should have just had Grodd running Gorilla City. Yeah, so it, 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 I think we could have... And again, we're on Monday morning quarterbacking. The series isn't over yet. We're only halfway through. But I think if we got like a last page reveal here of what the rub behind uh, Gorilla City really was, and that's like your your issue two cliffhanger, it's like, oh, it really was this, right? Right. Um, And then maybe like issue three, if you wanted to, and again, I hate to say pad things out, right? Mm-hmm. Issue three is maybe where you get your more full Gorilla City people interactions fleshed out. And then maybe what we get is our cliffhanger here at the end of issue two. We get that at the end of issue three. Okay. I'm I'm the editor on this book. I'm making suggestions. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you have too many ideas. But anyway. I do. Usually people tell me they're good ideas and then they never, they never use them. Yeah, well. <laughs> it's still a good book. I'm still enjoying it. It didn't deter me from anything else like that. I just felt as though um, the gorilla stuff was maybe unneeded here if it got its own third part as opposed to like a quarter of this. No, I get you. I get yeah. you. Well. Uh, so moving over uh, to saga number 58, uh, written by Brian K. Vaughn with art by Fiona Staples, uh, we're, what, three, four issues into this run? Yes. Okay. And what we're getting here is a lot more of the playing with the relationships and who could be trusted mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Um, and I guess the story is broken up into four parts, part one, part four, don't really connect to two and like two and three connect together. Uh, part one is, uh, Alana making the run with the drugs. She interacts with another fellow widower. And again, because they're pirates, because they're drug smugglers, there's no name shared. So we don't know what this character's name is. We just know that he's some sort of human-dog hybrid sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they do end up bonding over acknowledging the tropes of being a widow. You know what? That's one of the things that I really liked about this issue. I do yes. like the fact that he's like, oh, he's like, a lesser writer would have done all these between these two characters, but I'm going to acknowledge what those are and then not do them. Right. 
Uh, and then again, of course, we get the stuff with Hazel and, you know, the Prince Robot Kid and the band and all that sort of stuff. And that more directly leads into uh, the new character, Alana's new partner, sidekick, or whatever. And at this point, we can kind of say that we got a little bit of a tease at the end of last issue about he may not be what he seems. Mm -hmm. And in this issue, they come right out and they say that he's not what he seems. He's very much... Someone who is running from a past, maybe a very dangerous past, maybe a very bloodstained past. And, of course, the pirate on this ship, who I don't really trust in the first place from the very first episode or issue that we are introduced to him in. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, Todd, you're never supposed to trust a pirate, you know? Right, especially those darn raiders, because... Yes. And then we, uh, and then our last bit is, you know, our, um, whatever the, and again, I, I, whatever the race are that are the same race as Alana that have the wings. Right. The, I can't think of the name, but the character's name is Agent Gale. Yes. So he is now tasked to kind of clean up the mess that has been made and everyone that Alana has been in contact with, uh, needs to be taken out. Mm -hmm. And I don't think this is much of a spoiler, um, but I, I, I don't, I don't want anything bad to happen to Gus. Oh yes. Goose. <laughs> Goose um, or Gus or whatever well, I pronounce his name. When I was rereading re it, because he has the umlaut above yes. his Joe, um, somebody was like, oh, uh, your name is, is Gus. He's like, it's Goose. And they, and he's like, oh, it's Goose. He's like, that's what I said. And it's, that's what it seems to be pronounced. So. I like it. I don't want anything to happen to him either. Like that old saying, that old joke, anything happens to Gus and, and we riot. I'm with you because every time I see him, he's just so, he, you know what? He's 10 times cuter than baby Yoda. I would need a live action version of him to give a definitive yes, but I'll, I'll give that a yes in pencil. Okay. Okay. And I'm making this call right now, Joe. So you know how you say like you can't trust a pirate. This uh, the bomb Bombazina, I think his name is. Um, we like he seems like somebody you can't trust. Blah blah blah. I think all that's great. I'm not saying these people aren't dirtbags, but the I'm reading this storyline. The one we have to watch out for is the drug addict dog hybrid. That's the misdirection right now. You think so? Because they've made us care about this character already and when that when that bottom falls out that's gonna be the one because we're watching those two other two it's the dog man and and see that's the thing i you know i, I i'd like to you know just as i still need at least one more issue to make my um final decision on the uh dog human hybrid man I'm with you because I, I did the math. This is at issue four. So we have two more issues to go for the trade as they, as they do with saga. I think the shoe drops at the end of next issue. Okay. If not, definitely the cliffhanger of six and we'll find out who the guy we have to watch out or person or dog or whatever is the person we have to watch out for. And I know whenever we talk about saga, it gets a little cryptic, but it's definitely something that we read all the time. And I do know that there are people who are probably waiting for the trade on this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, if you're listening at this point and you haven't skipped the saga part, you know, I don't think we're being too spoilery, but obviously we're not giving everything away. So we still want to entice you with this. And even if you're not a right. trade person, you know, go get the single issues, go get it digitally. This is a book, you know, I'm so excited that it's back. I, I wish everyone was reading it. Yep. This is, you know, this is one of the best books of the last decade of comics. Yeah. So. And I know I know I've brought this up before and I'll never forget that original solicitation which uh oh and you know so I'm glad I'm glad I didn't put it in the notes and I'm going to I'm going to take out what I was going to say here. Um uh, but I remember that original solicitation where it just said it's like Game of Thrones meets Star Wars. And, That's ex- right, go ahead. And it's nothing like that. Well, how could you say that? You've watched one episode of Game of Thrones. I'm going to speculate that it's nothing. I know enough about Star Wars that I could tell the parts that aren't Star Wars in this. What? There's lots of aliens. Uh-huh. You know what? You know why it's better than Star Wars? Because there's no stink Bib Fortuna in there. How dare you? There's no, you know, stupid character like that in here. Uh, so... It just, even if it was that at some point, which it never was, I love the fact that it's so far removed from that, but it's this book that is such this special thing and this unique thing that in its initial pitch to get people to buy it, they're like, hey, what are the two most popular things right now? Right. Oh, that was before the the three uh, sequels. Um, But, Joe, I just like to, I can't imagine what the solicitation will, when Saga is finally over and Brian K. Vaughn's ready to do his next book for Image or whoever, it's just going to be like, it's Brian K. Vaughn, you're going to buy it. Right. That's the solicitations. Yeah, it's the way it should be with a a creator like him, you know? Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, that's what we read last week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, If you head over to longboxheroes.com, Every Tuesday, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them sent to your store, your your home, whether you pick them up, whether you, this Saturday is going to be the first time that you ever go to a comic book store in years or ever, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Uh, I'm shocked that this is such a light week of books. And I'm shocked that there's like no big crazy number ones to be on the shelves uh, for the influx of people that should be coming in for free comic book day. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I guess, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. Uh, But Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, Todd is in the lead with uh, over me with five correct guesses. Uh, Let's see how we could uh, narrow that gap or not. Yes. Um, so I'm looking over your four book list, and is the book you're looking for uh, looking forward to the end of One Star Squadron number six? It is, uh, and I, I I think that's the book that you're lo- most looking forward to coming out uh, this week as well. Yes, I want to see if uh, you know there's a cliffhanger and we're gonna get six more like Wonder Twins back in the day. Yeah, uh, well, again, Mark Russell's not tipping his cards in regards to that, but he did uh, tweet out a spoiler in regards to this book and said that in this issue, Red Tornado gets a deal on chili. Well, I wonder <laughs> if it's Green Arrow's famous chili. Oh, my goodness. Did they ever publish the recipe for that in any books? I believe they did in one of the specials that I have. I'll have to look it up. I want to say maybe it was in like, remember when Ollie and, and, and Dino were getting married? 
Like in the wedding special? Yeah, like, you know, that that uh, bachelor party uh, chili. Some of that special Green Arrow bachelor party chili. Yeah. Uh, so no movement there, of course. And uh, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, or taking the place of Todd and Joe have issues for 2022 is the silver standard. We mentioned before the Flash has the greatest rogues gallery in all of comics book, but who is the second best? Is it Spider-Man like I think, or is it Batman like Todd thinks? We, with the help of power lister Grinch McScrooge, has put together an elaborate tournament pitting the bottom of the barrel uh, Spider-Man villains against the bottom of the barrel Batman villains. Todd and I attempt to make the case for each. You, the listeners, vote to see who moves on to the tournament. And one would assume whoever wins a Batman rogue or a Spider-Man rogue, they are the worst of the worst. And that cements your the best of your worst is the best of your best, but not the best that is the Flash's rogues gallery. Right. Uh, so the voting is in and uh, it, it got a little I, I, I got a little push. Uh, there toward the end, but not enough to tip him over the scales as the clock moves on to the next round, defeating the finisher. Oh. So I can get rid of that bookmark. And uh, we have this week's matchup to discuss. And uh, I'll go first, if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay, so my villain is a gentleman by the name of Manslaughter Marsdale, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll give him this. He's got a cool name. He's got a cool look. Uh, he's like wearing like a, a like a purple like suit with a giant blue bell, belt buckle. He's got these uh, these uh, like knuckle dusters, like brass knuckle type things on. He's got a really cool look, right? Mm-hmm. But from there is where he falls apart. So with this cool look and his... Uh, relative superhuman strength and he has the ability not to feel pain um being that he's only had about eight appearances since his debut in 1985 uh a lot of his powers are kind of ill-defined where it says that like he could feel like No pain, but, like, if he gets punched by a superhero, he feels the pain. And he has superhuman strength, but the superhuman strength hasn't really been tested. So when you have this cool look and you have these ill-defined, you know, generic superpowers, what do you do with your life? Well, you run a boxing gym in New York and you try to pressure people from other boxing gyms to join your boxing gym. That's what Manslaughter Marsdale does. And uh, in his first appearance in Amazing Spider-Man, in attempting to recruit Bobby Chance, a young up-and-coming boxer from a crosstown gym, Manslaughter Marsdale is almost taken out by the janitor at this different gym. And Todd, maybe you would know this janitor uh, by his name in the comic books as Crusher Hogan. Oh, Crusher. uh, I'm thinking, wasn't it Crusher Creel? No. So Crusher Hogan is the wrestler that Peter Parker took on in Amazing Fantasy number 15. Bonesaw? Who would later, 20 years ago to this very day, Todd, 
made his on-screen debut changing from Crusher Hogan to Bonesaw is ready. Bonesaw. But here in this issue of Amazing Spider-Man, he's a lowly janitor at a boxing gym. He gets one over on Manslaughter Marsdale, allowing him to be delayed enough for Spider-Man to come and take care of him. Uh, We flash forward three years later for the next time that Manslaughter Marsdale shows up in a comic book. And in this issue, he is uh, run afoul of uh, previous contenders, albeit losing contenders, but contenders nonetheless, Sticks and Stone. Where, again, he's just a generic goon for hire attempting to get Mary Jane when there was, like, that whole storyline where there was the weird, like, soap opera producer who was trying to kidnap Mary Jane, right? Mm-hmm. So from there, uh, the next thing that happens to Manslaughter Marsdale is we get to see him again 21 years later is the next time he makes an appearance in a comic book. And that is in Dark Rain Zodiac where he runs afoul of Zodiac, who is uh, accumulating his own little cadre of villains under Norman Osborn's Dark Reign. And uh, Manslaughter Marsdale joins a team called the Gang with No Name with other non-Spider-Man villains as Whirlwind, Death Reaper, The Clown, and Pastepot Pete. Ooh. Pastepot Pete who was too good to be on this list. I'll just tell you <laughs> that. Um, so the story ends with Zodiac using some sort of whammy to take Manslaughter Marsdale's powers away from him. So he's just a regular human, uh, saving him from the worst fate of any Spider-Man villain, which is becoming a punchline in a Deadpool comic. What? So again, it's a cool look. Um, just like, like it's a look of a character that just pops off the page, but I just think they thought of a look and they thought of a name and they didn't think of anything else to do with them as evident by his sporadic appearances in comic books. But again, he's a lame Spider-Man villain, most notably because he got taken out by the janitor. Hmm. Well, I think I could top that, Joe. Top that. Yes. Um, so my villain is... The classic Batman villain, Mirror Man, Joe. Oh, wait, you mean Mirror Master, the Flash's rogue? No, no, no. This was a prototype, Mirror Man. And you know how Mirror Master has all those cool gadgets, like he could walk through a reflective surface, he could turn you into glass, he could do all this stuff, all those cool, like, mirror gadgets. Does Mirror Man have any of that? He does not. I assume Yes. No, Joe. He just wants to steal things that are mirror-related. And he doesn't have so much gadgets as he uses mirrors to, oh, disorient you. That's my my big gimmick. He's His shoot name is Floyd Ventress. His name is just as bad as his, his thing. And his origin is he's in jail. And when he's getting a checkup in the doctor's office, he accidentally or was it an accident, wink, goes into a mirror and knocks pieces down, and he ends up picking up one of them and puts it in his pocket. And he uses that piece of mirror to uh, deflect the guard's uh, spotlight when he's escaping over the wall and blinds him, and he's able to get away in that fraction of a second that he distracts him. And outside he says, oh, my God, I broke a mirror, and it brought me good luck. It's an omen. 
I'll do lots of research on mirrors because from now on I'm going to use them for crime. That's right. He's like, mirrors help me, so I'm going to become a mirror man. So he goes off, has a whole hideout filled with, like, he has like a reflective mirror fireplace, which is stupid. That doesn't even make any sense. And his costume consists of a black suit, a red bow tie, and mirrored glasses. Oh, boy. So he ends up breaking out of jail, and in one day, he just goes, um, he's going to discover who Batman's identity is, and that's going to make his bones in the world. And you know how he does it? Not by inventing something, which would be cool. He ends up saying, he's like, I, and he's here's an invention I hijacked from a dead scientist's personal belongings. It's a two-way electric mirror that x-rays anything covered in cloth. That's right. Uh, he got from a dead scientist a machine that can see through clothing. That's right. Dr. Pervert apparently is the doctor he went to because I don't know why anybody would have that. So he ends up using that on, on Batman after he's trying to, I don't know, steal a mirror. And he ends up using it. He's like, oh, my God, it's Bruce Wayne. Um, I know it's him. So now I got to prove it to everybody else. Um, and he ends up getting his goons to go with him. And Batman's like, oh no, he might know who I am now. So I'm going to have to, Joe, I'm going to have to mirror the way this villain thinks. He actually says that. And he decides he gets his plan ready. So when the mirror man this time tries to use it on him, uh, it's faces, this stuff is all distorted. And he's like, look, goons, it's Bruce Wayne. They're like, that's not, that's a deformed man. We don't know who that is. Batman wore diff, uh, funhouse mirrors under his mask, which d used his own game against him. So mirror man was beaten by mirrors, Joe. And in the end, he's, in jail and he's going to be like I'm going to prove it he breaks out like years later and does this whole gimmick again where he's stopping traffic with giant mirrors and all this stuff and in the end he gets he he tries to prove it's Bruce Wayne but he gets fooled by that classic gambit by uh, Batman a Alfred in a bat suit and so it's like oh if that's Bruce Wayne who's that with that mustache sticking out of his bat suit it must be Batman send the mirror man back to jail the mirror man is the worst joe all right you made a, you made a good argument for mirror man being awesome he invented stole from a scientist the idea from actual working x-ray specs Mm -hmm. uh, he was a murderer because he stabbed a person with a, a like the, the piece of a mirror. He figured out like literally within his first appearance that Bruce Wayne is Batman. And as you're going through the thing, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna do the old gambit where how do they figure it out? Oh, it's gonna be Alfred in a bat suit. Like in my head, I'm like, oh, it's gonna be Alfred in a bat suit for the first appearance. But no, I'm glad they held off until the second appearance to do Alfred in a bat suit. Right? You don't give away the store in the first appearance, Joe. I'm just and and that's the thing. This is two weeks in a row where Batman has the prototype for much better villains to come down the road. The Clock, Clock King. Mirror Man, Mirror Master. Now, again, I'm, I'm assuming this is a character from the late 50s, early 60s. Um, no Spectrox involved with this character? No, no, which would have been great. Right. I, I had to, in, in the in the uh, event, or the uh, uh, 
to, to be as transparent as possible regarding this, because obviously if there was Spectrox involved with this character, uh, he would automatically, I think, be disqualified. Because oh, yeah. that, that, that would make him a cool villain. Oh my goodness. Because remember Mirror Master 2 had a cocaine problem? It's Spectrox problem, but yes. Spe- Spectrox, I'm sorry, Spectrox uh, problem. So, no, you can't do that. Um, so there you go, Joe. Mirror Man, pretty bad. All right. Well, it'll be up to you, the listeners, to make your decision and vote to see the pictures that we chose, listen to the arguments that we made here, uh, and see who moves on to the next round. Um, sure. And could I interrupt the show for one second, Joe? Um, while I was, while we were, while you were just explaining whatever your villain's name is, I don't care because Mirror Man's worse. Wow. Um, I found out where they printed Green Arrow's chili. All right. It was in Green Arrow's Secret Files and Origins number one from 2002. And I have a picture that I'll be sending you of Green Arrow's chili recipe. All right. I'm going to include it into the show note or like into the, the show post because I know how to do that now. Right. I'm going to drop box it to you right now, just so you know. But you like after the show, I mean, of course. So while you're, oh, hey, uh, we'll do this here. Um, so again, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out our store uh, where we have shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. Uh, hey, I'm going to be in Easton out and about uh, this Friday at the Weyerbacher Brewery for LVAC's Bash to the Brewery. Uh, first wrestling show that I'm attending in nearly seven months. First wrestling show for me of 2022. I'll be on the clock working, but I'll be happy to come over and say hi to everyone. If you want a shirt, a pin, or a sticker, let me know in advance so I can bring them to you. We could all save on some shipping. You could head over to our Tee Public store where you can get more designs inspired by this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, at, uh, or yeah, at odds with wrestling, Final Wrestling Place, Hit My Music. Uh, the T Public sale is actually next week for 35% off, so you know you can wait a little bit for that. That's okay. Uh, you can sign up for our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/LongboxHeroes. Um, little as a dollar a month, you get two bonus shows from Todd and I. One is a movie show where we look at the films of independent filmmaker Mark Pirro. Uh, the other, previewing the past, where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog. We're looking at 1992. The comic explosion is upon us. We had Youngblood. We had Spawn. We had Savage Dragon. The episode that we're recording this month, Wildcats debuts. If these are things that you remember from reading comics 30 years ago that got you into comics, more is coming. More is coming. This is just the opening of that Pandora's box of the (laughs) comics in the 90s that you all know and possibly love. Yep. And we put up the full scans of all those previews catalogs as well. The $5 and up folks get those two bonus shows two weeks before everyone else. And uh, they also get uh, After Dark two days before everyone else. So they can listen to everything in the correct listening order. Yes, sir. Another way they can help us out is making any and all of your purchases through our Amazon click-through banner across the top of the page at longboxheroes.com. It is an affiliate link. They claim... Uh, that it's because of us directing you, the listener, to Amazon. They're giving us a little bit of a kickback. They call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy when he gets his cut at the beginning of the month, just the way that the finances run. I'm going to say at the beginning of the month because that's more realistic. Is this where I say yeah? Yeah. Uh, Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include somebody purchased a twin pack 
of 40-ounce containers of Skippy Natural Creamy Peanut Butter. I'm a Jif man. I'm a Jif man! (laughs) Uh, I'm a fan of the organic stuff that's all separated, where it's like a layer of oil and then a layer of brown. Mm. And you have to, like, stab it with, like, a a plumber's trowel to mix it. Well, let me just say this. I'm going to go into a quick peanut butter story. When my mother and father <laughs> divorced, right? And my mother was trying to make every penny count and I would only eat Jif. And I was a jerk as a child. Um, she decided to try and fool me by getting the government uh, peanut butter and putting it in a Jif jar. Oh, I, I like, like that. Oh, I was like, uh, 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 I could taste the shells in this. Stop it. Uh, so somebody also purchased uh, the big economy size thing of the Oreo Ritz crackers, graham cracker variety pack uh, deal. I'm sure the break room needs to be restocked. Uh, somebody purchased a Lego Ninjago Ninja Ultimate Combo Mech. Okay. And uh, if you look at the picture of this, it looks like somebody was trying to get as close to Voltron without getting sued for this. And to that, I say kudos to you. What are you trying to get a sued, boy? <laughs> and uh, somebody made their comic book purchases this past week as well, uh, purchasing Saga number 58, uh, Ninja Turtles, The Last Road number five, Punisher number two, and Amazing Spider-Man number one. So again, thank you to everyone who made their purchases uh, through the Amazon affiliate link, whether it be this week, this month, this year, or this forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? We had two. One was Mayan. Two? Um, yes, two. From uh, my collection, uh, I bought a uh, Chris Schweizweiser comic, uh, the art book, and it came in the mail, and he painted a little, like every one that he does, he paints something, sketches slash paints something in the in the book, and I got a little uh, medieval soldier, so that was really cool, and the book is just filled with great, like, ca- uh, his cartooning and different things that he's done for commissions from his Patreon over the year, or at shows, and he's taking pictures of them, and he's loaded up, and I'm like, I want that one, I want that one, I want that one, I want that one, um, but sadly, they're for other people. It's a great art book. I highly recommend it if you can get it. That's such a cool little piece that he did for me. And I was going to say, I think I still have it linked up in the show notes. If you wanted to check that sort of thing out, you could still, I think, purchase uh, that art book from Chris Schweizer uh, as well. Again, if you enjoyed us talking to uh, Kyle Starks a few weeks ago, uh, he and Kyle Starks worked together on Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, a book that we extolled the virtues here for every issue that came out. And uh, this is a great way to support a uh, great artist. And like I said, it's still available for purchase, and we do have that linked up in the show notes. Yep. And also from Matt Turner, he sent in, in the honor of the passing of the great Neil Adams, I thought I'd post some pieces I have picked up from Neil throughout the years. Uh, He said, I hope everyone is doing well. Keep up the fantastic work. That's very nice of you. And it's a picture of him meeting Neil Adams, who he was, and the one thing I definitely respected Neil Adams for was he always wore the same blue shirt. I'm down with somebody who does that with their wardrobe. So that was always cool. And there he is. He got a print of Spider-Man with a Batman remark on it. And then the other thing that's really cool is he got the uh, Muhammad Ali, well, the Muhammad Ali versus Superman, but for ESPN, when they did uh, the best uh, athletes of the century, it came down to Muhammad Ali as the winners. 
I think it was one and two. I think Muhammad Ali was one uh, and Michael Jordan was two or the other way around. It doesn't really matter. It was them. So he decided to recreate the cover to Muhammad Ali versus Superman with uh, Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali and then like filled the uh, crowd with various uh, other athletes. I think it was all the other people on the list. I'm not 100% sure about that, but uh, that I love that print. That's absolutely fantastic. And it's signed and it's called champions of the century. Really, really cool. Definitely cool. Uh, you mentioned about Neil Adams having uh, his uniform of the blue shirt. Uh, thanks for Matt for sharing all those pictures of the prints and the art and the everything else that you'd picked up getting a chance to meet Neil Adams. And I will say at the very least, it looks like from the pictures that this was two different conventions that Matt got a chance to meet Neil Adams at, and I do like at both conventions, or at least both appearances, uh, Neil Adams' muddy box is a Hello Kitty box. Hey, man, he knows his, his audience, so. <laughs> I just think that's adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like I said, again, thank you very much uh, for you, uh, Todd, and for Matt for sharing his stuff that he got. Mm-hmm. And I think... That's now just time to get into the penultimate episode of Moon Knight, yes? Yes. All right. So uh, where we last left our beloved Moon Knight is it appeared as though at the end of the episode last week or two weeks ago, because we're always a week behind on these because they come out like right after this goes live. Mm -hmm. uh, It appeared as though Mark slash uh, Stephen were in an insane asylum of some kind. Uh, it appears as though um, Arthur Harrow was the doctor in charge of things. And at the end of the episode, they're greeted by a giant hippopotamus thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we learn in this episode, the one that we're reviewing this week, that the hippopotamus thing is Toware, uh, who is the guide to the other realm. Right, the life. Right, to this river sticks, but in a desert kind of a deal. Yes, and it's the and uh she is taking them, Mark and Steven, uh, to the realm of Duat, uh, on the Arius to the field of reeds. And on their way there, their hearts, their souls essentially, must balance with the feather of justice, the feather of something. Right. I, the Egyptian legend was that if your soul was as light of a feather, your heart, uh, then you could get into the the good afterlife, the field of reeds. Yes. Uh, so as this is all going on, um, we get to learn essentially the origin of Stephen alongside the origin of Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as they... Um, are going through this journey. They're going into different doors in the insane asylum. And again, I don't know if it's okay to say it's insane asylum, but it's an asylum. Nonetheless, uh, one of the rooms is just a room of a bunch of dead bodies. And I'll reiterate this here. And as we continue on with this episode, um, last week, this week, uh, a little bit darker, a little bit more gruesome, a little bit more scary fare than I would expect on a Disney plus show. Right. Uh, I'm all for it. I'm cool with it, but, uh, it's, it's still shocking when we see it, you know, that's why they enabled that new, uh, rating system that you could lock out kids, man. That's right. You could watch the Netflix shows. That's what this was for. It's like, oh, the Netflix shows are coming. Let's put like sand zombies that explode when you punch them. Yep. Uh, so 
uh, it's in this room where Steven sees all the people and all the people that are in this cafeteria that are dead, zombie-esque, whatever. Uh, these are people that Mark Spector has killed. And Mark is making excuses uh, for why uh, he killed all these people. They're all bad people. They're all horrible people. They would have killed him uh, first if he didn't kill them. Uh, but then there's also a little boy in the room who goes running away. And they chase after the little boy. And it turns out that that little boy is uh, Mark Spector's little brother. And we get to relive the childhood trauma that led to Mark Spector uh, accidentally causing the death of his son, or his brother, rather, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, his mother's breakdown and taking out the death of the younger son on Mark. Uh, Mark uh, dealing with this, leaving home, but in between this, as they're... And they do this very intricately. I really like the way that they did this as Stephen is following young Mark through the house and into the different doors, into the different rooms um, to see everything, to have everything unravel in front of him. I thought this was expertly shot, expertly presented as part of the show. But then we get to one point where Mark refuses to let Stephen go into a room. Mm -hmm. And this is when we're kind of pushed back into... Uh, Dr. Haro in charge of the asylum, trying to grill both Mark and Stephen to figure out what's going on to try to get something out of them. One would assume trying to get out of them the information about Khonshu, but it's a little unclear as to why this scenario exists. Is this mm -hmm. something that Haro himself has set up, or is this just the world or the prison or the hell that Mark and Stephen have created for each other? Right. But then eventually Stephen goes into the room and we have clues that have been all throughout the episode, all throughout the series, that Mark created Stephen Grant based on an Indiana Jones-esque uh, movie character that he loved and his brother loved. And Stephen Grant knows no fear. And it was that... That Mark created the Stephen Grant persona to deal with everything that was going on with his mother. And then when his mother died, that's when the break between the two personalities started to happen. Because mm -hmm. it was too much for the both of them. And that's essentially what made Stephen become real. Right. But no time for that, because we're back on the ship. The scales are not balanced. So all of the dead are now coming to get Stephen and Mark. Uh, Mark is hiding because Stephen tells him to stay away. Or uh, Stephen is hiding because Mark tells him to stay away. But eventually Stephen gets the courage because, again, Stephen Grant knows no fear. He helps. He assists. He saves Mark. But at the sacrifice of himself, as mm -hmm. he is the one who was pulled over the ship. And he is the one who becomes one of these sand zombies, frozen in time forever. Steven is gone. Now, Mark Spector at the gates to confront Haro has nothing else to back him up. He has to know fear. Now, also along the way of this, it's revealed that Khonshu has been kind of leading these pieces pushing Mark in this way to get him to a point so that he would become the avatar for Khonshu, the Moon Knight, if you will. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I really like this episode a lot as I'm going on and on about it. Not a problem. A couple of things that I just want to add and then we'll discuss the episode. One is that uh, I, because of the scales won't balance, it seems once Steven goes over the boat, the, the, the scales are balanced with the one heart. Yes. Um, and that enables him to, I thought, at the end, get into the field of reeds instead of going back. Right. And now he's thinking, maybe I have to go back to save the world because the hippo goddess says, like, hey, like somebody's sending all of these souls to the the frozen zombie land because they're evil before they've even like, you know, before they've been judged. And that's Harrow using the power that he, he got up. So I, I, I like all that. Um, one thing that I kind of noticed, too, is I think something was up because when they kept going back to Harrow in the uh, asylum, it was like, is it Steve? Is it Mark? They 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 would switch out, and then there was one with blood all over their face. Which I'm like, who is this guy? Because it doesn't make any sense. I'm waiting to see where that goes. So all of that interests me. But that being said, this was the best acted. Like like Oscar Isaac. Like I forgot like what an amazing actor he is. I was watching bits and pieces of Ex Machina that he was in. One of the best movies made in the last like ten years. And he's fantastic in it. And him doing Mark and Steven and going back and forth and losing it and whatever happens, he either had me heartbroken or like I was rooting from whatever. And then when he would not go in to his mother's for the funeral, that broke me as I was watching. I was like, oh my God, this is so rough. Uh, this was such a great, great episode. For sure, and I'll be sad to see it go, but, you know, again, this was not, um, I, you know, and of course, there's still one more episode left, so we don't know if this is going to have this big uh, world-changing, world-whatever-effect that uh, WandaVision had. Uh, we don't, you know, obviously there's a wholly new character that we really haven't had any other of the Marvel Cinematic characters show up in. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in this final episode. Yep, I totally agree. And there's something from the first episode that kind of kind of throws me. When Steven was walking into the museum, a little girl tells him, you know, how does it feel to be rejected from the, the field of reeds? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm wondering, like, if that's going to come into play and all this was never what we thought overall. I'm with you. I'm look, I did not care for this series in the beginning, not didn't care for it. I, I wasn't intrigued, but once we hit the asylum and different things started happening, I'm, I'm all in and I'm looking forward to see the ramifications, the repercussions, like you say, should be, should be interesting. Yep. I've been enjoying it. And then again, yeah. of course, we'll have the final episode of that, uh, to talk about next week, as well as again, Dr. Strange, uh, I don't know. It's Doctor Strange too. What is it? Doctor Strange and the the multiverse of madness, aka Doctor Strange Two, Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, it's Doctor Strange Two. Everybody. I hope there's a field of reeds in this movie, Joe. Oh boy. I'll, I'll settle for just one. <laughs> right. Uh, no spoilers. But uh, did you see? Uh, did you see that they? And again, I only know a lot of this in this. I. And again, I know we're in spoiler talk about Moon Knight. So this is maybe it's spoilery talk about Doctor Strange, but it was in the Super Bowl commercial, right? Okay. Uh, Shuma Gorath's in this, right? Sure. 
but it's not Shumagorath. It's not? It's, Gar- it's Gargantos. I saw something about this. Okay. Go so, ahead, but it's okay. not, I, I couldn't do if you asked me to, so. So, Shumagorath is a Doctor Strange villain, but apparently the name Shumagorath comes from something in, like, the Conan books. Okay. So, Shumagorath, oh. go ahead. Probably when Marvel had the license to, to Conan. Yes. Okay. So, Shumagorath has been in a bunch of other Marvel media pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe. Most notably, he was in a bunch of the Capcom fighting games, right? Mm-hmm. Because Marvel was a little lean on villains that could be, like, quote-unquote fighting types, you know? Sure. So, like, you'd have, like, Omega Red or Doctor Doom or... Thanos as your end boss, and then Shumagorath would be one, right? Um, so then we're doing Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange is a villain. Shumagorath is a Doctor Strange villain. But the naming rights are a little muddy on Shumagorath, okay? Right. So in early 40s Namor comics, there was a Squidman thing that kind of looked like a dumbed-down version of Shumagorath before Shumagorath, named Gargantos. Gargantos had two appearances in those early 40s Namor comics, and then just never came back up again. Right. So in attempting to put Shumagorath into the Marvel Cinematic Universe... They didn't even want to cross the bridge of having to license the name or give a payout to someone for this. They essentially went in their back catalogs and they said, do we have someone that kind of sort of looks like Shumagorath? Mm-hmm. And it was Gargantos. So going forward in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in the games, uh, and I'm sure in all future any Marvel-related media, comics or otherwise... Shumagorath is now retconned to be Gargantos. Just like Infinity Gems are now Infinity Stones. All right, stop that. But uh, I'm just going to say now, what does that do for first appearances in the previews from the 1940s show? Well, that's a good question. And again, I didn't want to bring it up earlier in the show, but I was going to make a joke that I still have the issue of previews with the first (laughs) uh, saga solicitation in it. (laughs) And I was going to send that out to be graded. Uh, but then I didn't want to trigger you in regards to different grading things of first appearances <laughs> and so on and so forth. I did have it in my notes to bring up, but we had, I, I very rarely do I look at my notes when we actually start recording. I'll just say this. I have a lot of grading opportunity irons in the fire. Uh, I, I hear the most reliable and trustworthy of the gradings is that WADA that does the video games. Okay. Top notch. Above board. No problems. Definitely not currently the part of multiple class action lawsuits. Wasn't that uh, the 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 flying creature that owned Anakin Skywalker in the prequels? See, that was the joke I made. <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> Annie, I'm going to grade your video games, Annie. Because <laughs> my kid was watching one of his videos, and you know they talked about like sending something out to Wada <laughs> to get graded. And I said to my kid, I go, oh, I knew it would be a scam. They sent out, you should be sending your video games out to the guy that owned Anakin Skywalker. Oh. And being a good father, that he's never seen the Star Wars prequels, he had no idea what I was talking about. But it was just a joke for me. That's right, because you don't want the kid taken away from you by making him watch the prequels. That's right. So thanks for listening, everybody. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, episode 604 of uh, Long Box Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying uh, we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks.